Good morning, motherfuckers. Good morning and welcome to the Everything is as Bad as It Seems podcast. This is episode three. And I am talking to you from sunny Edinburgh. It is a very fucking sunny day today. Wind is high, though. Wind is high. Wind tends to be high. Um, that's the thing with uh, Edinburgh is kind of in a giant slipstream you see you kind of get a lot of wind but it's fine it's all right we're off to a good start today i had two crumpets for breakfast last night i was watching alex jones alex jones what a man alex jones for those of you who do not know who alex jones is he is basically runs a 24 7 conspiracy news network for conspiracy theories, and he's a crazy guy. He's a crazy guy. He's uh, when he was a child, you know, he, uh, he well, he used to have sleep apnea, and it used to apparently it used to constrict the oxygen supply to his brain so much that he would have and like a near death experience, and he would have uh, when you die. Apparently, there's a chemical release called dimethyltryptamine that is also in ayahuasca. Uh, and psychedelic drugs. So he <coughs> he started to trip from this lack of oxygen. And what he saw there, and what he used to do, he used to get his mates to, to, to choke him out at school so he could have DMT trips, and apparently he lived the whole life of what I'm presuming to be a proto-Britonic farmer in the early Iron Age, as he talks by on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. And that's kind of strange. I don't want to get into this with, uh, with you guys, but I want to talk about a couple of experiences I've had with dreams and the way that they make you feel like he was saying he uh, he lived a whole life. He lived a whole life, and he's, he watched a kid starve to death, and he cried on camera. The guy, you know, you look at him and you go, that's fucking... He's a bit of a train wreck going on. And he admits that he's a bit of a train wreck. But I've had a, I've had a couple of dreams where I've woken up from them and thought, fuck me. That felt like it was a long time. But it was obviously just, you know, it just was my brain telling me that you've known this all along. You know, have you ever had a dream where you where there are certain concepts within that dream that you thought you'd always known throughout your whole life, and when you wake up, you're like, I've never heard of this concept before in my life. I've never seen this scene before in my life. I've never seen this person before in my life. But yet in the dream, you're so convinced that it's part of your life. You know, it's powerful, and I think that's probably one of the dreams. That's probably what Alex Jones had. When he was getting choked out of school, he maybe didn't live a whole life as a proto-Britonic farmer. But maybe he actually saw or felt what it was like, you know, to have that experience in the brain. Or maybe I'm wrong. But it's a very, uh, very interesting thing, dreams. They can really tell you a lot about yourself. Uh, if Freud has taught us anything, his dreams tell you more about yourself than they do about anything else in the world that's going on. 
So the news today, the news this week, is pretty dry. I've been looking on Twitter and it's the same old, same old. Now, I don't really want to be talking about riots. I don't really want to be talking about Black Lives Matter. I don't really want to be talking about... Fucking... Traditional left versus right politics today. I feel like we've had enough of that over the past few months. And we've gotten ourselves very riled up about uh, certain socio-political concepts which are very, very easy to grasp, I think. Very easy to grasp, very digestible for the population because they're very oversimplified. And... I don't really necessarily want to be talking about, you know, pop theory today. I know it's only the morning. But pop theory is not what gets you started during the day. What gets you started during the day is something tough, something you have to think about, something new. Something that we've not really, you know, had to had to think about before, you know. And one thing I'd actually like to talk about now is something I've conceded on in the past few months. Actually, maybe it was about October, November, I conceded on this. You know, a lot of my listeners think I'm really right-wing, think I'm UKIP. But it's only because I'm kind of right-wing compared to you. Now, I believe in male privilege. I think male privilege is a thing. I think biological There are biological aspects to being a man that come with certain advantages. For example, you know, walking down the street at night, late at night. You know, you can't really... There are a lot of places where you can't really walk by yourself at night as a woman. Also, answering the door to a stranger, that's another thing. You know, a man tends to have a lot less uh, caution when doing things like that. Childbirth is another thing. But there are also privileges that women have. Now, I don't like talking about the, you know, the patriarchy or whatever because there are in certain circles, in certain socioeconomic circles, there are, you know, power structures that, you know, resemble a patriarchy, that function like a patriarchy. You know, if it walks like a patriarchy, it talks like a patriarchy, it probably is a patriarchy. Now, you know, the, glo- the global, you know, fourth wave feminist movement is to suggest that, you know, capitalism creates... Capitalism basically creates the, uh, you know, the conditions... A lot, well, a lot of people believe that capitalism creates the conditions that are able for, you know, certain... Uh, aspects of patriarchy to thrive. Now, this isn't necessarily untrue. This isn't necessarily untrue. Okay, and this is this is something that uh, a lot of my right wing friends don't seem to admit. Don't seem to admit that the uh, patriarchal power structure is something you know that has existed as you know an idea or you know a representation, especially in uh, mid republican art in Rome. There's a very patriarchal sense to it. Although at the same time, still there was sort of a representation of femininity that went beyond the divine too. 
but this sort of uh, this f- this feminine kind of relativity existed within the patriarchal space. Now, Republican Rome is probably your perfect example of a patriarchy. Okay, so if you want, if feminists, if you really want to understand the ways in which a male-dominated society functions, look up early, mid, late Republican Rome, all three of them, especially the Punic Wars. If you want to understand how patriarchies function, you want to understand how an oligarchical structure run by men functions, look at Republican Rome, okay? And now look, and then look at modern society, and tell me why modern society does not resemble, you know, everything that Republican Rome does. Now, the way in which our, you know, our free market functions, okay, a lot of the ways in which our free market functions are, you know, hierarchies that are predicated on competency and sometimes, you know, relentlessness. Sometimes relentlessness, like uh, the financial sector. You know, you have to be bawdy, you have to be strong, you have to be, you have to have a lot of guile. Now, the reason why a lot of these industries are dominated by men today, and, you know, some, some of the industries have really strong women in them too, but this is the thing, right? This is the thing. Is on the extremes, okay? Men tend to occupy the extremes of personalities, okay? So, well, they tend to they tend to take the most extremes in terms of uh, impulsiveness. They uh, take the extremes in aggressiveness. They take the extremes in conscientiousness, and they take they occupy most of the extremes. Okay, and so when you're looking at these industries, which are dominated by men, you don't you not only you don't only see that they're dominated by men, but actually, you you don't see that they're dominated by men. You see they're dominated by a, pers- a certain personality type. Okay, and that certain personality type is not exclusive to men so about 99% of these people or maybe 85% of these people in this in this industry are men but 100% of them all occupy the extremes when it comes to your certain strength or type of personality now what does that tell us that tells us that at least socially, at least socially now, there is a difference between how men and women operate in the workplace. Okay, so this is how this is this is basically where I'm basing what I'm about to say. Okay, now there are areas in which women have more power, and now one of the situations where women sometimes control the space. Isn't, isn't necessarily in the physical space, but it is in the social sphere. Now, I remember at school, you know, it was very quick. If a man had done something wrong by a woman, or a boy had done something wrong by a girl, 
the social space would be absolutely dominated by female voices. And, you know, whatever you seem to hear about this person or what they'd done, you wouldn't necessarily hear from them. You'd only hear from the, you know, people who were talking about it. And, you know, that's where trouble trouble ensues. You know, I got myself into quite a lot of trouble when I was at school. I was actually a bit of a dickhead sometimes. I got slapped once outside RE. And I deserved that. I did, I deserved that. I was really, I was unpleasant. I was really unpleasant. But this is necessarily, this is what women are great at doing. This is what, especially, you know, very, the space can be manipulated to a point where they can, they can, you know, manipulate this, the image of the situation a lot better than women, uh, a lot better than men can. And now this is, a, this is something that women are very good at. And it's because, generally speaking, women are more interested in people and men are in, more interested in things. Now, the, there's, the, there's work done on this. There's work done on this. There's studies done on this. Um, you can look this up. I have a feminist, Camille Paglia, agrees with this. She's, a, she's as liberal and as progressive as, you know, you could probably ask for. She's a feminist. She's a transgender feminist. She believes this too. This isn't just a right-wing point of view. You know, there are differences between men and women. And, you know, might get a lot of flack for this, but that's what... That's kind of what we miss today. That's what we're missing today. We miss a certain appreciation for women. Um... We're missing a certain appreciation for women these days, and we're missing a certain appreciation for the things that women do. You know, for there are a lot of the female things that the women really succeed at, and really they hold our social sphere together with what they do, and it's sometimes ignored, and it's sometimes ignored by you know the transgender position. Okay, transgender women competing well transgender men compete competing well transgender women competing in women's sports and there's been a lot of track records recently broken in america by a girl 17 18 years old who's biologically male who's biologically male who is winning competitions okay No, I believe in a, in a space for women. I believe that, you know, women should be able to compete as women, okay? But if you've got the biological makeup of a man and you have, you know, the benefits that that testosterone has given you and you are built like a man and you have big shoulders and you're six foot four, it's not fair. It's not fair. I know how I'd feel. I know how I'd feel being female, competing in a female sport, especially athletics, especially something that is so centred around your athletic ability. And I think it's something that we need to really reevaluate because the Olympics is going to start to go downhill very quickly. We're just going to start to see the North Korean team, you know, changing genders of their uh, athletes. And we're also going to see it in Russia. And... I'm sorry, America, 
but we're going to start to see it with you too, just so you can get some gold medals. Now I get it. I understand. It's a new opening. There hasn't necessarily been some rules put down on it. But we need to remember what J.K. Rowling said. We don't remember what J.K. Rowling said. Remember when she got shat on by the whole uh, LGBTQ plus community? She got shat on by the whole LGBT plus community because she said that there is a space for women and disregarding the biological and social differences between men and women and saying it's just a construct, it's just socially constructed and has no grounding in biology is dangerous. It's dangerous for women. Because it puts them now in a vulnerable position where your femininity itself is not recognised. You know, the fact that you have a uterus and you've grown up and you've experienced life as a woman. Now, that matters less than ever before. And that, for me, is worrying for feminism. That's worrying for me for feminism because the feminine state and the feminine ideal and everything like that is just it's disappearing and not necessarily the the i the loss of the ideal isn't necessarily my problem okay the, the the more ideals that can be smashed and the more we can look at this from you know a detached perspective the better okay but what is valued from women and what we get from women and, and what women contribute to our society is really being undermined by this movement. And I will stick to my guns when I say that. Because you are a woman not only in your gender, not only in your expression or who you are, but what your lived experience is. And it's the same as a man. It's the same as a man. You know, um... An Irish writer, I've forgotten what his name is, he said it He said it very perfectly. He said, you know, anyone can have balls. Anyone can have balls and anyone can face up and stand up for themselves and be strong and have strong masculine traits. But only a man can have his balls taken away from him. Can he, only can a man have his balls taken away from him. And I think that's something that, you know, is important, is important. As a man, there is a sense of duty. There is a sense of we need to do things right. I need to do right by people. I need to protect. I need to, you know, make sure my people are okay. You know, in this 21st century, we don't necessarily need that typical kind of protective man. But all kind of men have this, you know, fear of being emasculated of not stepping up to the challenge, of not meeting the requirement, of not doing, you know, what you should have done. And being emasculated is something that only men can really go through. And I apologise for saying this, but only men really have balls and only men can have them taken away. And it's only because we have this predisposition of having the balls that means that we can have them being taken away. Now, if you're a trans man, I'm not taking away from your experience as a trans man, but I am certainly taking away from your whole life experience as a biological male, because that ne necessarily has not been your life, okay? You have not always been a man. You might have always felt like you were a man, but you had not always biologically been male. 
I'd say that's just about as much as I'm going to go on about that subject, actually. Uh, it seems to me like, you know, I might get a lot of responses. I might get a lot of hate for it. But never mind. It's fucking, what is it, Wednesday? Tuesday? Tuesday. It's a Tuesday today, so please be soft on me if you have any criticisms. Um, if I said anything particular, make sure you quote it and destroy me properly. This is another thing I think we haven't necessarily brushed over in this podcast, but I like to say another thing. I like to say another thing about politically correct culture uh, is another thing. Is that now comedians are being cancelled for making offensive jokes? We're all kind of on edge about what kind of humour we can and can't use. What's acceptable, what's not acceptable. You know, I'm one of these guys. I'm the kind of guy who'll sit in a room with someone who I've met for the first time and play devil's advocate. I'll sit there and play devil's advocate. We'll have a discussion about something political, maybe... uh, Maybe something purely ideological, completely removed from the, you know, political debate. And maybe it's a bit more philosophy side, the philosophy of politics side. And we'll be talking about that. And, you know, I say things sometimes just to see what the reaction in the room will be. You know, that's something I do. I I tend to gauge the room sometimes by asking difficult questions. And uh, I live in Scotland now. um, And there are new laws that have come out, new free speech laws, which mean that, you know, uh, you can be prosecuted depending on the the feeling of the person you're saying this thing to. You know, you can be fined or put to, put in prison for a certain amount of time, depending on what you said and how that made the other person feel specifically. And so for me, I'm starting to tone down on that now. I kind of started this podcast to kind of get a very, to try and balance myself out try and balance my ideas out and balance my positions out because I know that when it all goes to shit and I say something that I don't necessarily mean that at least my views are here here so you can all listen to it and know exactly how I feel about things because you know when I'm on Twitter and I'm tweeting stuff I don't necessarily say what I mean I'm just shit post that's something I do and I think that I think especially for men, especially in male groups socially, there is sort of an aspect of vulgarity. There's an aspect of, you know, I'll I'll fuck your sister, your mother's whore, etc., etc. You say that kind of shit. No, there's a certain aspect of I don't know, for me, I feel like being being vulgar in that kind of sense. Uh, it goes beyond the words that are being said. It's more of like a paralinguistic thing that humans do, especially men. Uh, is We tend to try and gauge each other. We tend to try and gauge each other, you know? If you're walking past someone in the street as a man... Uh, you know, you automatically... Gauge people, you see how tall they are, you see how strong they look. Just if you're in a threatening kind of situation, if you're nervous, you, you, you know, you sort of, 
subconsciously look people up and down, you know? And that's a similar kind of way that I'm kind of talking about this vulgarity concept in our sociolinguistics. Um, you know, there's always kind of a point at the start or the end or, you know, halfway through the middle of a conversation where, you know, we don't necessarily know what we can put up with, what each other can put up with. You know, my best friends were absolutely disgustingly horrible to each other. And that's how we know we kind of respect each other. Because it's almost like vocal sparring. It's almost like you're play fighting with them, but by using harsh language instead of harsh physical movements. And so with men in this politically correct sphere, is it's going to it's going to be very difficult now for us to be to have that sort of vulgar exchange, especially with people we haven't met yet. And it's it's part of how I respect people, really. You know, if you can take a bit and you can give a bit, and you're intelligent about it, and you know you don't shy away from a good old fucking good old fashioned scene too. You know, you stick up for yourself, you're funny, you're harsh. I respect you as a person, you know. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't go as well. Sometimes they get upset or, you know, sometimes they they come back. But they come back a bit more emotionally charged than you would have expected them to. And, you know, that's a very good way for me to recognise, okay, this is where this person's line line is at. Let's not take it further than that, you know? And so now, in social situations, I'm really, really, really... I'm Diet Jamie. I'm really Diet Jamie. Uh, I was in the park with my flatmate the other, uh, the other day, and she was with her friends from uni. I'd never met them before. And I called someone a pikey. And she goes, oh, Jamie's got gypsy family, he can say that. I was like, no, precisely the opposite. Precisely the opposite. Okay. I just said something shocking. Now, it's up to me to deal with that. I want to deal with the consequences of me saying something potentially very offensive. Okay. And I want you, as a group, to give me feedback on that. You know? Because I want to know how fucking, how funny my jokes can be. I want to know how harsh my jokes can be. Alright? That's how I work. And because of this politically correct culture that we have now, it's sort of very, uh, you're treading on fucking eggshells every single moment. Because if someone isn't offended by something, there will be someone there who is speaking on behalf of people who may be offended by it. And that's what I really don't like. I once got pulled up by someone at uni for using the word tranny when describing not just transgenders, but people who cross-dress. Um, you, you know, I would have thought, you know, I see a lot of, you know, transgender stuff. I've watched RuPaul Drag Race. That's a bit more like drag queens, though. And they use the term tranny, they use it in a derogatory way. They still use it in a derogatory way, but it's not, it's removed from the kind of negative connotations that, you know, they perceive that Western society has upon the word. And now, 
I just used it as a shortening for transsexual people. Um, people that cross-dress. I didn't use it for the transgenders. I used it specifically for people. I was referring to a night uh, in Darlington. On Mondays, it's called Mungays. Now, I said all the trannies come out on Mungays. Because Mungays isn't a day for gay people. It's a day for LGBTQ. And in Darlington, there's a very strong community of cross-dressers, of drag queens. And so I, I used the term tranny to describe them. Now, this offended the, this, this offended the girl so much that she had to pull, it, pull me up for it. And you know what, kudos to you. But I think it was kind of besides my point. And you kind of dis derail the conversation, you know, from what's actually important, you know. I have, I have, you know, views on this kind of thing that are a lot more nuanced than just, you know, the words that I use for specific people. Like, you know, the way I communicate it isn't necessarily careful. I'm not necessarily careful about things like this, you know. But I do tend to push the boat out. I do tend to push the boat out when it comes to saying things that you might not want to say in public. And that's kind of worrying for me because of these new laws. If anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, Google Scotland new free speech laws. And uh, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. We kind of live in a world today also where everyone is kind of a performer. You know, everyone's got, a, everyone's got this position or a platform or a group they belong to now online. You know, everyone has their, you know, their social circles online and they're all very personalised and individualised. And, you know, what social media displays to you is basically like how an advertising algorithm works what do you want to see what are you most likely to click on and so social media will feed you all sorts of opinions that you will click on whether they be reactions to things you don't like or things you don't like or things you do like to be said they're all mixed up into one space and this world it looks and seems very uh, combative, looks very adversarial, but Twitter isn't British Parliament. Twitter isn't, you know, a government and opposition. It's not set up in an adversarial way. It's three-dimensional. It's not two-dimensional. There are three dimensions to the social media sort of social sphere. And it's not adversarial at all. In fact, it's more like an exchange. It's more like a marketplace of ideas. And, you know, the more you follow um, partisan accounts, the more of an adversarial setting you'll get on Twitter. Now, I, I look through Twitter and I see, you know, there's the typical adversarial things, blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, you see very moderate you see very moderate reactions to it. You know, a lot of less well-known, you know, academics, for example, um, tend to post very balanced point of views on them, but they don't necessarily have a lot of followers. 
And so what you've got to do as, as someone on Twitter is if you just, if you're interested in ideas, you know, look for the people who have the most pronounced ideas. Look for the people whose ideas are actually, you know, grounded in some fucking sense of logic, you know? And follow people like that. But also, what I would say is also follow people like Alex Jones, okay? If he ever gets Twitter back. Or George Galloway. You know, somebody's just strongly cynical about everything. And it's fun. It's great fun. You know, people say Alex Jones. Yeah, Alex Jones is a Nazi. Alex Jones is a white supremacist. Alex Jones does this. Alex Jones does that. No, Alex Jones... Alex Jones, for me, is hilarious. He's fucking hilarious. He can go for hours. He can go for hours. I'm not someone who watches him and goes, oh, yeah, that means, you know, we need to run into a pizza restaurant to save all the little all the little girls that are being hid under there by the Clintons. No. His humour is precisely in the fact that everything he says is so crazy. And he says everything at such a speed. He's a hilarious guy. And as soon as you take what he says with a pinch of salt, you take a step back from it, you recognize that it's him, you know, it's, he's just a guy talking about his experiences, you, you sort of, you lose the sort of worrying aspect of it, and that's the thing, is people don't seem to recognize this, is that Alex Jones is here for our entertainment, you know, we shouldn't take, necessarily take everything that he says seriously, we should just watch him and, you know, see what he does, enjoy him for who he is, and this is, this is a message I want to leave for you guys today, actually, is uh, people have good things about them. People always have good things about them. People always have entertaining aspects about them. And so the best way to enjoy people, especially in small doses, is to just make sure you have them in the right context and, the, and make sure you understand them as people before you go out and do any sort of social situation with them. You've got to sort of approach it in a way that you can get you know, you can make that person the most comfortable. And this is the thing about friendship now, is it shouldn't be about catching people out for, out for their ideas. It, it should be making the, sitting them down in a comfortable enough situation so that you can get to the bottom of what they're actually trying to say, you know, of their ideas. And instead of accusing them of saying something derogatory or accusing them of saying something, you know, transphobic or uh, offensive... Just just think about, forget about the words. Forget about what the words, you know, say to you, okay? And ask them about how, what that word means to them, you know? What people say says more about themselves than it does about anyone else opposite you, you know? They're not talking ab about you. They're only talking to you. And so while you subjectivize what you say in your own subjective sort of perception, there isn't really any way that you can understand exactly why that person said that. And so your response from, you know, something someone says that throws you back is to question it. Don't pull them up for it. Don't try and accuse them of anything, but, but question why they say what they say like the way they say it. 
okay? If you want to understand people better, you know, give them some time. And usually that gives you a lot more ammunition. If they really are bad people, it gives you a lot more ammunition to debate them against, you know, to flatten out their ideas or get to the bottom of what they really want to know. And uh, also another thing is debate shouldn't necessarily be about changing people's minds. It should just be about, for you, is asking the correct questions to get the right information for yourself, okay? And you don't have to put everyone to justice. Social justice warriors are like this. People on Twitter are like this, you know. Liberals are like this now. They always like to catch people out and they always like to serve justice where it necessarily doesn't need to be served. And so I'd like to leave you guys with that. Justice is served when you become a better person, not when the person opposite you does what you want them to do. Okay? Thank you very much, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll be back here tomorrow. Merry fucking Tuesday.